Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Just want to share with you for a few moments from uh, the passage that we read earlier on uh, and from, as I said then, the, the first verse of that. Let me just reread it for you, put it fresh in your memories. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That doesn't sound on face value like a particularly inviting message, does it? But let's have a look at it in, in, in a little bit of detail. First of all, if you notice there, the, the comprehensiveness of it, whoever or if anyone wants. It, Christianity is an amazing faith because it, it actually extends the offer of salvation to everyone. We divide ourselves up, don't we, in, into so many different kind of categories and some religions even um, categorize you and that's what you are and that's where you must remain. But, but Christianity says, whoever you are, doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, doesn't matter what color your skin is, doesn't matter what intelligence level you've got, you can be the the, the professors of all professors, or, or you can be absolutely illiterate and innumerate, it doesn't matter. Jesus invites anyone, if they want to, to follow him and be his disciple. Uh, and we've seen uh, an example, it doesn't matter how old you are, as, as long as you're old enough to understand and to respond, there's a, a common kind of view around that, that Baptist churches practice adult baptism. We don't. We don't practice adult baptism at all. We practice believer's baptism. And that has two kind of prongs to it. One, not every adult is suitable for baptism. Unless they can answer Heidi's question with Heidi's answer, um, then they're not suitable candidates for baptism. You've got to say, well, why do you want to be baptized? Oh, because my friend has been, or um, because I come from a long line of Baptist people, or because I want to get more involved in the church. You go, wrong answer, wrong answer, wrong answer. It's because Jesus has commanded it to those that have repented and believed. I've repented and believed. Here's water. Why can't I be baptized? anyone. Uh, and I, I challenge you afterwards to think of, of any category or group of people um, of whom it isn't true. Uh, and the early church was an amazing institution. It, it was made up of people as diverse as royal kind of hangers-on in Caesar's palace down to slaves. And they were all Christians. In 
human history, it's been the same thing. There have been Christians uh, amongst the richest. Uh, this church was, was funded, the building was originally funded by uh, a lady called Selina, Countess of Huntingdon. Uh, and she was, she was aristocracy, she was really rich, and she used her considerable fortune to build churches, to pay for pastors, to serve those churches so that the gospel could increase. Uh, and at a similar time, you'd got people like William Wilberforce and, and John Newton who were fighting to have slavery abolished. Uh, and amongst the slaves that were going to be set free, there were Christians. You can't have a, a bigger category of people than this. Anyone, anyone who wants to follow me. And it is following Jesus. It's following Jesus. Heidi hasn't joined a church or allied herself with a group of people. She started following Jesus. Christianity is about a relationship with a person. Uh, and that's so different, isn't it, from, from a religion. Um, I, I sometimes surprise people when I, I tell them I've been a pastor for, for many, many, many years. And I say, I'm not really all that religious. I go, what do you mean you're not religious? And I say, well, I'm not really all that religious, but I love Jesus. Um, I, I, and it's, it's not the things that sometimes people think go around Christianity. It's not the ceremonies. It's not the way people dress and so on. It's, it's none of that. It's following Jesus, loving him, serving him, following him. And that's what the gospel is inviting us to. And this is what Jesus was inviting the people to in Matthew 16. He says, do you want to follow me? And that's, that's a great sort of statement. And of course, the, the Bible is full of um, stories of people who did just that. Uh, and again, they were a, a diverse group of people. There were fishermen, busy working away, earning a hard living um, from the, the Sea of Galilee, bringing their fish in, smelly, dirty sort of work. Um, and one day Jesus wanders down the, the, the shoreline uh, and he says, leave your nets. Leave that old life behind you. Come and follow me. Uh, and there were two of them, James and John. Uh, they worked with their father. They, had, they were fairly, obviously fairly wealthy people. They had hired servants that worked with them. Uh, and suddenly, they just got off the boat and walked away. Even more remarkable was, was Matthew or Levi. He's, he's got the two names. Uh, and he's there. He works for the Romans. Even in our day and age, Tax collectors are not the most famous people, are they? They're not the favorite. I remember years and years ago, somebody coming to me and says, do you know, you ministers, you pray for the doctors, you pray for the nurses. He says, you pray for the, for the hospital people, you pray for the teachers. He says, nobody prays for me. And I said, what are you? He says, I'm a tax collector. I said, yeah, fair enough. I'm not sure I've ever prayed for a tax collector from the front of the church, but I did do, I prayed with him. Um, but, but Matthew, there, he, he's working, he's, he's got a good little earner there, because it, it's a kind of franchise that he's bought off the Romans, uh, and he's, he's told how much he needs to raise, but he can actually collect from the people as much as he wants to. So he puts his own margin on the top of it, uh, and he's doing very, very nicely, thank you. Uh, and so is another character later on called Zacchaeus. 
And Jesus just says to them, leave all that, follow me. And there is something about Jesus that compels them to do that. Would you do that? Somebody just came up to you, you know, when you're working in the shop or something, or you're, you're teaching in, in, your, son, in your, your class in, in school, and somebody walks in through the door and says, come, follow me. And you go, fair enough. You know, I'll just leave. But Jesus is different. Jesus is unique. And he says, do you want to follow me? Now, sometimes people will persuade you, don't they, to follow them because they're offering goodies along the way. Follow me. Join, join my group. It's what our politicians do, isn't it? You know, vote for us and your life will be so much better. And the next group says, don't vote for them. They'll make your life worse. Vote for us. We'll make your life better. And the next group says, they're both telling you fibs. Vote for us. We'll make your life better. And none of them can fulfill the promises that they've made. There are what are known as prosperity gospel churches around where people say, if you follow Jesus, well, that's the end of your troubles. You'll never have a difficulty again. You'll never be ill. You know, you'll have this wonderful life. That isn't what Jesus says to these people. Jesus says to them, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself. Now, that one takes a bit of thinking about because the idea of self-denial is not kind of particularly attractive to us, is it? We're much more into self-indulgence than we are self-denial, aren't we? Uh, And I think that that's kind of, of obvious and You can get the impression when you read this passage, if you don't read the whole of Scripture carefully, you can get the impression that that Jesus is inviting you to a life of misery. And nothing, nothing is further from the truth. Listen to what uh, Paul says to a, a young man, Timothy. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's sometimes a shock, sad to say, even to Christians, to find out that God wants us to really enjoy life. And he does do. He, when he created mankind, he put man in a perfect environment where everything was there for him. It was all there It was only when man disobeyed and and God needed to show him what it was like to live without a loving, kind, gracious, merciful God. That all of the difficulties and the the problems uh, began to come in. Denying yourself means putting to death the old sinful nature. it's all listed here. Let me just pick out a a couple of them Um, from Galatians chapter 5. It it means being done with hatred. Nothing consumes somebody quite so much as hatred, does it? If, if If you get yourself into a situation where maybe you think because of what somebody's done to you, well, how could I not hate them? In the end, it, it destroys you, doesn't it? There's a, there's a saying that, that says, he who seeks revenge must first dig two graves, one for the person he's going to pursue and one for himself. Hatred just burns people up. Discord, 
Do we really want to live, which would you rather live in, a, a family environment where, where there, there's harmony or where everybody's at each other's throats over everything? God is saying, this, this is my will for you. Get rid of hatred. Get rid of discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and the like. He says, if those are the things you're pursuing, your life is not going to be one of enjoyment. Your life is going to be one of misery. But he says, but there's an alternative. If you follow me, I'll give you the Holy Spirit, and he will bring with him these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. One of the terms that we often use interchangeably with with heaven and so on because of Jesus saying to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. It's a Persian word originally, uh, and it means a walled pleasure garden. Uh, And in the various parts of the Persian Empire, some of which had fairly hostile sort of climates, they would build these walled gardens, and then they would plant all kinds of shady trees and bushes, and they'd have water features, and there'd be fruit to pick off the trees. Uh, And it was a place for people to go where they could feel at peace, and they could feel happy. And Jesus says, that's what I need you to do. That's what I want for you. But in order to do that, let me quote you from somebody called Kevin DeYoung. He he says this, holiness is the sum of a million little things, the avoidance of little evils and little foibles, the setting aside of little bits of worldliness, little acts of compromise, the putting to death of little inconsistencies and little indiscretions, the attention to little duties and little dealings, the hard work of little self-denials and little self-restraints, the cultivation of little benevolences and little forbearances. I was a lot older than Heidi when I first came to know the Lord uh, and I I was coming from a completely non-Christian background. Uh, And the thing that that held me up for so long was the feeling that if I became a Christian, it was really an endless catalogue of things that I was going to give up. Honestly, that's what I thought it was. Uh, And having been a Christian now for a, a good, good many years, I can tell you there's not one of them I would want back. Not one of them. I I found more joy, more pleasure, more meaning, more purpose in the things that the good God has given me because I follow him. And he describes it as taking up your cross. Take up his cross. Somebody was saying this the other day, and I can't remember. It was in a church contest, but I can't remember who it was. And I thought, hey, you're pinching my sermon for Sunday night. Be quiet. Um, But that's fine. Bears repeating. Taking up your cross is not accepting the fact that you were born into a poor family and you didn't get the educational opportunities that you wanted, uh, and so you're stuck in some kind of a dead-end job uh, and just sort of saying, well, that's the cross I have to bear. That, that, that's not what Jesus means. Taking up your cross, in Jesus' terms, is a voluntary act whereby you choose to put God first. 
and yourself second. You choose to allow people to think that you're mad because of your faith, to allow people to to mock you and, and ridicule you. It's a choosing of Jesus. And our young people know the cost of choosing Christ and following Christ. And they follow him. And they have my admiration as well as my prayers. So Jesus says, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Well, we can't follow Jesus, can we? In quite the way that Matthew and uh, and, and James and John and Peter and Andrew and Zacchaeus and, uh, and Paul and others did. Uh, we, we, nobody's saying, you know, quit your job tomorrow uh, and go wandering around Galilee. Um, well, Jesus is present with all of us, but he's no more present in Galilee than he is anywhere else. So, so that can't be what it means. But what it does mean is to just take stock of your life and, and ask yourself, what is the trajectory? What direction is my life going in? What is my purpose? Why do I get up on Monday morning? Ultimately, what's it for? To earn money? Well, okay. What are you going to do with your money? Well, I'll spend it. Well, okay. But as you grow older, you begin to ask yourselves other questions. You start looking backward and saying, but what was it all for? Uh, and there's a whole book in our Bible called Ecclesiastes where um, Solomon, who's the, what, the king of Israel, has got everything you can imagine. Um, there's a lovely description of his zoo um, in Scripture where he's got his peacocks and his, you know, all these creatures wandering around in his zoo. He was famous for being the cleverest guy on the planet. People traveled miles and miles to, to listen to what he had to say and went away saying, wow. That, that's some wisdom. He'd got riches. He had so many riches. He didn't know what to do with them. And he reflects in that book called Ecclesiastes. And he says, what's the point of wisdom? Because as I grow older and older, I grow more and more forgetful and eventually I'll die. And then what does it matter how wise I was? What's the point in all my possessions? I can I can build them up, but the chances are I'm going to leave them to my children and they'll squander them. So what's the point of that? I live for pleasure, but I find that many of my pleasures don't actually give me pleasure in the long run. I, I remember being with a whole group of, of um, uh, youngsters that, that, that I was doing some teaching with and uh, they, they were not Christian youngsters and it was a Monday and they came in and one of them was going, oh, oh. Oh, oh, my head, can I sit somewhere where the light isn't on? And one of his friends said, did you have a good weekend? And he says, I must have done. I can't remember a thing about it. And I'm standing there thinking, strange definition of a good weekend. If you've now got a thumping headache, you feel sick, you want to get out of the sunlight, and you don't remember it. The one thing I will guarantee is you're probably an awful lot poorer than you were when you started. Uh, There are... Pleasures that aren't pleasures, that don't fulfill. Jesus says, follow me. And he offers us such joys and blessings, not only in this world, but for an eternity to come. I have to say, 
Heidi's made the wisest choice she will ever make in her life by choosing to follow Jesus. A lot of our other youngsters have as well. A lot lot of adults here tonight have. Can I challenge you? If that isn't true, look down a little further and come back to the verse I mentioned at the beginning. What good will it be if you gain the whole world and the scripture says forfeit your soul let me let me make that a little bit more modern in terms of its terms and lose out on eternal life what's it worth the fleeting pleasure of the moment or the lasting pleasure of being a follower of jesus and can i just re-emphasize again As Christians, we don't believe in a miserable life here for a happy life there. That's the parody, isn't it, of the gospel. Be miserable now and you'll be happy later on. No, no. Our God is a God who gives us everything richly to enjoy now and everlasting life in the future. There's a a, a hymn that we sing that I, I never, I should put it in and I because I always think of it last minute and I've never got the exact words but you know heaven above is brighter blue earth below is is it brighter green something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen and that's in a sense the, the the mantra of the Christian there is something in the world when you come to know Jesus that lights the whole thing up it, it's like Selling your old black and white television set and getting a color one. Suddenly, everything is vibrant and it's different. Following Jesus is the most amazing thing in the world. And if you want to know more about how to do that, please have a word with David, who you've seen, or myself, or um, if there's too long a queue, We'll get someone else because there's plenty of people here would love to sit down with you and just say, this is how you follow Jesus.